know, we, we had that in mind when we did that. That's a comment. Uh, merely pointing something out. I mean, I can do that. Hello. This is Edgar Wright speaking. And this is Quentin Tarantino. And this is yet another commentary for Hot Fuzz. Just when you thought we couldn't come up with any more to talk about this film. <laughs> my <laughs> my favourite film of the year so far. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Style Guide podcast. Uh, I'm Dave Morris and with me is not Stephen Ray Orr. Stephen Ray Orr is still... Uh, He's doing something and he can't make it. So we have a special guest on the podcast again today. A, a guest that you'll remember from previous podcasts, or I should say previous podcast. But you hear me mention her quite a bit. And that is the wonderful and uh, and amazing Missy Peters. So hello, Missy. How are you? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be here and uh, get to say things because I usually listen to the podcast when I'm uh, working out. And I like talk out loud to you guys, so yeah, I get yeah. to do it, and other people get to hear it. Well, uh, unfortunately, Steve-O's not here because if he was here, then you could argue with him. But because you never disagree with me, right? Never, never. It's the basis of our relationship, right? <laughs> right. Okay, that's gonna be a good podcast. Uh, if you can't tell, there might be some subtext in what's being said. And wouldn't it be great if we could like hit a button and turn on a commentary, uh, giving insight into this conversation? Which happens to be what we're talking about today, Missy Peters. Isn't that right? Yeah, director's commentaries. This is my jam. Yeah, and uh, I thought this would be a good topic to have you on for because you uh, do love director's commentaries. I do. Uh, I even wrote a poem about it once, which sounds way more romantic uh, than, than it is. But uh, yeah, I, I love director's t- commentaries. Yeah, I do too. And I remember... Well, I'm trying to think what the first director's commentary I listened to, and I don't think I can remember it, like per, per, in particular. But I do remember listening to the director's commentary for Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, I had that on my list too. Yeah, which was the first one I remember really listening to. That not only did I enjoy, but it enriched the process of watching the movie. Exactly. Well, I I think I'm with you there. Like I don't remember the first time I watched a director's commentary. It's got to be when DVDs were a thing because director's commentaries didn't really hit the scene until they had extra capacity that uh, they needed to use up. And so that's when you start to, you start to see special features like making ofs and director's commentaries being added in uh, to the commercial product where you didn't see that with VHSs, right? Yeah, totally. And I think, uh, and it was probably, I, I, I think it was just like a gimmick kind of thing. Like they had the DVD that had so much more storage space. So they were like, what can we fill it with? Let's put on some bonus features, special features. Uh, and something that's cheap, right? You bring one guy into a studio for, or one woman into the studio for a couple hours. That's, it's very cheap way to fill up and make it look like you have doubled the, uh, doubled the features, doubled the entertainment. Yeah, because it's a whole another two hours of entertainment, but it, and it actually only took them two hours to make, as opposed to the movie, which is two hours that took them like six months to make. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with you that I don't remember the first one I started watching, uh, but I do remember watching them pretty much religiously once I started. Well, what's the first one you remember? Like, what was the one that was like, like, if you think back to why do you love director's commentaries, what's the one that got you hooked on it? Do you remember that? I think it was the Firefly series, TV series. 
because I rented them. I rented them, ladies and gentlemen. This is how old I am <laughs> at the at the video store on DVD. Uh, and I was blown away by the TV show because I'd never heard of it and loved it and uh, was kind of voracious for finding out more about it. So I think that I started listening to the commentaries as well just to get like more information about the show. And it does have some pretty great commentaries on it. Yeah, it has actually my favorite on my list is uh, Objects in Space. Yeah, that is a beautiful commentary. I mean, it also, has some, it also has some terrible commentaries. <laughs> Well, we can get into that too. Like, what makes what makes a good commentary? Yeah, because yeah, mine, the first one I did, uh, I remember is Pan's Labyrinth. But then the other one that always comes to mind is the Firefly series. Watching that with the commentary because it was really fun to. to okay, well, what them. what about Pan's Labyrinth sticks out for you? Uh, the moment I remember in Pan's Labyrinth that sticks out that I was like, "Wow, this is like that makes me really appreciate director's commentaries was when the main character, the little girl whose name I cannot, re- I will never remember. Let's call her Anne. Little girl, <laughs> the little girl, uh, and the director, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. Also yeah. directed Hellboy. And Pacific Rim. Ding. Uh, they, uh, so he was tr- doing his commentary and the two moments is the one when the little girl's on screen and he says, uh, you'll see that there's uh, circles in the background because that's sort of the theme of this character is circles. And you see circular windows and circular picture frames. And then later in the movie, she's on screen again. He goes like, oh, there, there we go, more circles. And there are more circles in the background. And it was just this detail about the movie that I did not notice when I watched it that now that he'd said it, every time I watch it, every time I see her on screen, all I see are the circles. Are the circles, yeah. And there's a there's a shot with her in the bathtub, and there's a circle behind her. Uh, the huge window yeah. behind her, yeah. And it's just like, so many circles was the whole theme of that character. And, and then, contrasted with the rectangles of the real world, I yes. believe, was the, the motif, right? Like, he used circles for her, and then rectangles to illustrate and the rest of the world. Yeah, squares, I think, as well. Squares, yeah. The dinner table and everyone's sitting in the... Yeah. And stuff. Um, but then uh, also was the moment when the uh, he's torturing the stuttering guy or he kills the stuttering guy, the stuttering soldier. Yeah. And he's like interrogating him and he says, uh, if you count to three without stuttering, I'll let you go. And he can't do it. And then he you hear him screaming and he gets tortured. But the moment when that's happening, uh, he's talking about how he had the idea for that scene and wrote that scene like the idea of a stuttering guy who could count to three to get out of a interrogation like years before the movie like four or five years before he, he ever had the idea for the film he just wrote that scene and it was this moment of realizing that like as a, a director auteur or whatever we want to call him um he developed a scene that he really liked and then when he started working on this movie he found this scene and plugged it into the film and it worked really well and it was just this like insight into his process as a creative person that I was like wow that's so cool I, I, he didn't sit down and just write this movie he just wrote pieces and then started piecing them together well and that's the piece that I love about director's commentaries is that you get to see inside the process uh, it's not even behind the scenes but you you're listening to the person who has literally spent years of their life thinking about each s- shot each scene and the the level of detail that they have in their mind or what inspired them in this moment is totally fascinating to me. Yeah, right? and it like, is. Yeah, it's that thing of, of how um, every single shot in a film costs so much money to make that they're not going to just shoot things without meaning to. And so you hear... Unless they're Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah. Actually, probably even Michael Bay. 
but but like when you hear the the amount of thought that went into every shot it's just like wow that is that's even more than i thought you put into that shot uh which is i guess why director's commentaries are great on films like pan's labyrinth or the firefly series where there was a lot of thought put into them but i don't know how well they would go on like a judd apatho like like the hangover or something like would the commentary well, be as good i don't know because i on my list i have a uh, hot fuzz because one of my favorite directors is edgar wright uh he uses very quick uh very quick cuts to tell usually kind of like a to b getting somewhere places like the tooling up scene in hot fuzz uh and uh I just love his commentaries and his attention to detail, but that's a comedy. Like he, he does mostly comedies. Uh, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's, it's the fact that they've worked so hard on each shot. And sometimes they, <laughs> Edgar Wright has jokes that he's been working on for three movies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I was, I meant by, by Judd Apatow. I didn't mean the idea of a comedy genre. I meant the idea of just a, sh- crappy movie director who's just lots of medium shots and and people making jokes and hitting each other right he's just shooting sketch comedy basically yeah i don't know if the commentary from his his perspective on like why he shot it as a medium shot (laughs) again why that if there would be any insight that would be as inspiring as watching an edgar wright where he uses he does he's a great director so his commentary i can only imagine is just as good yeah uh well one thing you learn after what listening i was gonna say watching listening to a lot of directors commentaries is that directors have the thing that inspires them right so some of them are really into the actor's process and they want to get the most of their actor and so they talk a lot about like oh look at how inspiring this this uh, moment is i was able to draw this performance out of them but some of them are like just totally into light and they just want to tell you about look at how the light is hitting right now and look how crisp those lines are and it took us so like what kind of filters we were using and some of them are really into camera angles and cinematography so you get a sense of where this director comes from as a director so I would assume that Judd Apatow is probably more of an actor's director in that he's working to find moments that work that, that feel authentic between the actors in the scene and then he'll let the scene play as long as he needs to to get those moments. I haven't ever forced myself to listen to him, so. Yeah, that's a uh, the the uh, even a bad director might have a good commentary. You never know. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's true. When I think of uh, the Pan's Labyrinth thing, it's a lot about like the symbolism and the meaning behind all of the different uh, of the set of even. the set of it. Uh, like the, it was so everything's so symbolic in that film. Whereas when I think of Firefly, I think of the Joss always talking about the the narrative and the characters and the relationships and how that pushes the story forward in the ensemble. And so he's very into like the storytelling and, and character stuff, which is two very, very different approaches to uh, why they do the things they do. Exactly. Exactly. And I love that because, again, you get a really good sense of who a director is and what their artistic process is. To contrast that with uh, sometimes they have they have actors commentaries. Those are the worst. They they are the worst. Sometimes, you know, like um, Simon Pegg's commentaries are actually pretty good, but that's because I think he comes from a place more as a writer than he does as an actor in, in a lot of those commentaries. Uh, but for example, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, 
one of my favorite directors, Edgar Wright, and Simon Pegg do a commentary. And then they have, like, the other actors who play the other characters doing a commentary. And there's, like, five of them sitting in a room just Sorry. talking about stuff. You said Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think you meant Hot Fuzz. No. I meant Scott Pilgrim. Oh, okay, but Simon Pegg isn't in there. Yeah, you're right. So it's just Edgar Wright. And then they have five actors sitting in the room who all play the different characters. And that actor's commentary is brutal. Yeah. Those, like, they're vapid no no understanding of the meaning or the symbolism or the artistic process they're not even discussing their own actor's process they're just like oh yeah this this was really hard to shoot oh this looks really good yeah look at that yeah oh man i remember uh, i remember this day on set uh, there was there was like no food and i was so hungry and i hate like th- those are the commentaries you get from actors like a very selfish perspective on them and their experience uh, while there, which is really not interesting at all. Like it doesn't help. It doesn't. It, I guess it, it, the difference is that it doesn't enrich the feeling of the movie. It doesn't make me feel like I know more about this movie, or do, it, the movie is no not better because I watched it. Yeah, and I I guess it's the difference between uh, a behind the scenes kind of where they they did that a lot in the eighties, where they would have like a camera on set and they would do a behind the scenes. Uh, which gives you an idea of like how this movie was made as a product, but a director's commentary is more than that. It's it's a look into the process. It opens up the artistic understanding of the work and actually expands your enjoyment of of the movie as a piece of art. Yeah, let's just hang on this for a second here because I'm curious about this, this this idea of of it's a commentary. So it's supposed to be commenting on the film. Now, does that mean? that it needs to make a worthwhile comment or could it just simply mean a comment like like uh, like oh look he's wearing a red shirt like does that count as a commentary oh interesting um well if it's like we put them in red to some to kind of like harken back to the idea of like the expendable crewman in star trek and we yeah. wanted you know we, we had that in mind when we did that that's a comment uh merely pointing something out i mean i can do that yeah and i guess people do it like there's um i was talking about this with scott thompson that there's uh commentaries of of like comedians sitting down watching a bad movie and making jokes about it uh and that i guess still technically is a commentary it's just not a commentary that that draws out more information it's more a commentary that makes fun of what's on the screen and is uh, I mean I guess we we get, we all have our personal preference about which one we like, but it's still a valid commentary, even if it's just vapid actors <laughs> talking about the clothing true, they were wearing. True. Okay, I'll g- I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, I just I guess I like commentaries where uh, I'm getting something more. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning about the process and about what what went on behind. The vision of the film. Yeah, it's it's the difference between a good commentary and a bad commentary. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, for example, to go back to Firefly, the one that sticks out in my mind and actually inspired me. Uh, I, I produce a festival, a poetry festival, obviously. I know. Um, and it inspired me to, for the whole theme of that festival that year was uh, objects in space. The commentary by Joss Whedon. It's like. The eleventh or twelfth episode. It's, it's the final. Episode. It's the final it's episode, the and fourteenth, I think. And he's like, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to talk about sh- this shot by shot or story wise here. I'm going to tell you what inspired me 
for this whole idea of this episode. And he talks about being in a theater watching something when he's like 14 years old and how it blew his mind. And uh, he kind of gets like super metaphysical about like objects and what their actual it, symbolism is. I think if I remember correctly, he was in university. Okay. I'll give um, you it. But he was taking a class and it was about the idea of imbuing meaning upon yeah. objects. And that's why in, in the episode, he makes early make a really big deal out of the word imbue where he says, is it still a room? Uh, what's or do we mm, what's the word imbue? That's the word. And he like makes him have this moment of forgetting the word because he really wanted to draw attention to it because that was the word that kind of really hit him where we imbue meaning upon objects in space. Yeah. And so he goes on for the whole commentary to talk about objects and their meaning in space. And it, it, it it's almost like a, a parallel commentary. It's not directly commenting on what's happening on screen. But it just really opens you up to the why, like why he even wrote this episode, why this mattered to him. And because it's the last episode, it feels so weighty that that it, it gets to this really philosophical place. Yeah. And he also and it also he does reference certain specific moments where like at the beginning, it starts with a shot of a planet uh, and he comments on the planet that's just again it's just an object in space and then the whole the camera shoots through the ship and he brings our attention to the fact that it's moving through all the metal in the object of the ship to river sleeping and then at the very end of the episode it's her playing jacks with Kaylee and she holds up the rubber ball to to Which bring it back to it. the planet uh, this tiny rubber ball that looks like the planet and it's just an object in space i can do this and like yeah so he he does a, a, a every once in a while dip in to the classic kind of commentary we would expect, but the, the only at the beginning, at the end, and I think at the moment where Early licks the pole, and he he references, he just makes a point that he just did that, and that there wasn't, he didn't tell him to. The actor just decided to lick the pole. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Uh, I, I I will also go out on a limb here and say, although I dislike most actors' commentaries. Yeah. Uh, I do really enjoy commentaries by either scholars, sound engineers, cinematographers, mm-hmm. anyone uh, with a with a different insight and a different artistic vision. Uh, I think you're 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 hinting at a commentary that I know you're about to bring up, which is Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, yeah, I was, I was, yeah, and I also Star Wars. It's uh, kind of, and I think this is because uh, with the older movies, it's easier to get. Uh, tangentially related professionals to do commentaries rather than Han Solo trying to get Harrison Ford to do a commentary on Empire Strikes Back would or, be difficult. Or even to get the director, like to get George Lucas to do a commentary on a movie he made 40 years ago. Like that's like, that's, that's uh, he, what's he really going to remember? Maybe he doesn't even remember. It's like, I can't remember why we did this, but we did, but to have a scholar look at it or a cinema cinematic historian who, will know all the references he was making and can comment on how this is from that Western, this is from that Western, right? Exactly. Uh, so with Star Wars, it's the sound engineer, the guy who like created all the sound for the TIE Fighters, the X-Wings, Chewie. And uh, he's talking about how he made each of those sounds. So he's like, oh yeah, uh, for this one, uh, I- I'm in a dumpster and I've got a couple of uh, shakers. And it's <laughs> totally fascinating because you realize 
the effort and and the the vision that someone had to have to make a sound that is totally recognizable now yeah. but it never existed before well and and again and that wonderful thing that commentaries do draw your attention and draw out more more meaning and more detail from the film than you originally saw when you hear that tie fighter sound or whatever he's in, he's doing shakers in a <laughs> but but when you say that i can almost hear in my head like what would it sound like if you were in a garbage can shaking shakers around and it had that would have that echoey metal sound and it's like wow that is that's that's great and like to have the to hear the insight of like oh they needed me to make a laser gun sound so i thought how would i do that oh i know i'll get in a dumpster with some shakers <laughs> and figure it out yeah but the once upon a time in the west is is similar in that you're not hearing the people whom who necessarily made the film but people who have insight into the film Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's done by i think it's done by some film historians isn't it yeah and and it's kind of like uh they sit down and have three or four people speak individually about the film and then intercut them when they say the most interesting things yeah really uh but it's fascinating to me because you kind of get this this lecture on spaghetti westerns in general yeah which is super fun to 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 have that outside eye because the director doing it is a very like they have an agenda they they know why they did it but an outside eye like a uh a historian looking at it they don't know exactly why the director did it but they can recognize where they got it from which the director might not be able to do they might not uh, and the impact right being able to say true. like and this shot here you'll see this reflected again and again yeah like the once upon a time in the west shot where she enters the town and the camera goes over the the um entranceway the wooden like little yes the yeah. gates when she goes through the goes train station it. yeah and the camera comes out and now she's in the town and it's like uh, that shot has been used in every film that's ever referenced a Western. Like it's used in Back to the Future 3. It's used in, uh, uh, I'm sure The Ridiculous 6 used it, although I didn't watch it. <laughs> but I'm sure it is. And I'm sure Tarantino did a very similar shot in Django Unchained. Like, like it's such a, you have to do that shot to do a Western. Well, and mentioning Tarantino, uh, I'm kicking myself because uh, he does this incredible commentary on an old film. Isn't it a samurai film? Yeah. I'm going to have to look it up and we'll put it in the show notes. Sure. Um, uh, who does it? He does it with someone. With someone. He? Yeah, he does it with someone. And the two of them, like to have two directors who care so much about cinema sit down and discuss a film is just, it's, it's a master class, really. We can pause while I look this up. Edgar Wright and Tarantino, yeah. Hot Fuzz. Yeah. They did Hot Fuzz. Uh, too. Is it Hot Fuzz? Are you sure? Yeah, it's right here. Okay. Okay, I found the commentary you were talking about. It's Quentin Tarantino and Edgar Wright, who are both two of like your favorite directors ever, doing a commentary on Hot Fuzz, of all things. Which is one of my favorite films ever. And you, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, which is, sounds like it'd be a fantastic... I'm going to totally listen to it. Uh, I'm going to put it in the show notes because it is on YouTube, it looks like, so you can find it. How cool is that? Uh, and it just goes to show how much Tarantino uh, re- loved and respected Hot Fuzz. But I think in, like, they men- they reference um, a film a minute, something yeah. like 140 films that they reference in a row, 
throughout this commentary and you just get this sense of like these guys know film they know cinema they know references they know shots uh and again that goes back to what kind of a director are you Mm -hmm. tarantino is very much a pastiche uh director he loves pulling from different places and making something new out of that yeah and this is one of those things i love about director's commentaries this idea that um uh to hear someone's perspective and have my perspective completely shifted uh, makes it so that when I watch other movies later, I am kind of watching for those things. So, like, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever, like, um, been friends with, like, a graphic designer or something like that, and you walk around with them and just look at signs on the street, they will point out the font, they'll point out the spacing, they'll talk about the color scheme of that sign and how it clashes with the neighboring building and they totally shouldn't have done that. And like these things that only someone who works with color and graphics and fonts would even notice. And the rest of us just kind of walk around like we are just in a totally different universe than them. Uh, and, uh, and, like, and then once they start pointing it out to you, you then start seeing that for yourself when you're walking down the street or when you walk by that spot. So you walk by the spot they first pointed it out, you see what they pointed out, and then you look across the street and you see what they, that they see what they told you in that sign and so on and so forth, and you start you carry it with you. So when I watch a director's commentary and Guillermo del Toro talks about these circles and symbolism and all these shapes, I now watch that movie very differently every time, even if the commentary is off, and I see those shapes and I see those circles. And then if I were to watch something after it, I would look for those same things in that film, like the same idea of like, how is this director using shapes and how is this director using uh, symbolism? Yeah. So like, does listening to director's commentaries change how you watch films? And you're saying, yes, absolutely. I say, yes, uh, it changes how you watch that film because I can't watch objects in space now without recognizing that planet at the beginning and the bouncy ball at the end and the flying through the ship and all the the rivers listening from below and all of the listening from above, like all the, the things that he talks about. I can't not see those anymore when I watch it. And, um, uh, but that doesn't mean that every time I watch another movie, I still see those same moves. Uh, if, if it's within a certain amount of time and they've shifted my perspective, watching that commentary or watching that show. And then I watch a different show afterwards. I still, I apply the same logic to it. So it's almost like, like for a moment, maybe like a limited time period. I tend to be... I start looking at things like that director. I think listening to director's commentaries has made me look a lot more at how light is used and filters, like uh, what's the palette of this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because I, I really also like costuming. Uh, I notice costuming a lot yeah. uh, and how that's used to create characters and, and symbolize moments. Uh but that's not usually something directors talk about. Yeah, no, I look for, I mean, I, I we both are in paper shoot theater, so we both uh, recreate genres and styles a lot. So I, I do look for those types of things. I look for stylistic choices and I look for genre elements and feels and looks and costumes and um, and like the, the film quality and, and things like that, that, that that help set the mood of the film. But, uh, but I remember watching this YouTube video. Well, on, I was going to get to this on um on uh what do you call it uh, aspect ratios yeah. like four by four or uh, uh 16 by nine or whatever uh the different aspect ratios people use in films and after i watched that 
I was like, oh my God. And I watched a movie after and for the first time noticed the aspect ratio. Well, and it wasn't it was, just the aspect ratio, right? But why you would use each of those and how they one. change. And especially the um, Grand Budapest Hotel because it cuts between, like the opening five minutes cuts between four different aspect ratios to signify time periods. And when you watch it, you notice that, but you don't notice that. You it know happens it feels, on a subconscious level. Yeah, you know it feels like a different time period, but you can't figure out why. And then I watched this aspect ratio video and then watched that movie again. And I was like, I can't not see the aspect change now. Exactly. Well, and this gets to, uh, I was kind of thinking that because of streaming, we don't have director's commentaries anymore. They're gone. Yeah, they're, they're, gone. they're slowly they're, dying. They're kind of a, a, a very short, brief blip in the history of film here. Uh, and what has replaced them? And I think what has replaced them is uh, individual commentaries on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Every Frame and uh, Every Frame of Painting on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, which is this guy who breaks down film uh, unbelievably well, uh, especially things like uh, positioning and frame. He does a whole one about uh, Vancouver never playing itself. Uh, he looks at different actors and stuff. Uh, and, and he does commentary on the why, on the what you're seeing. Uh, he has one on uh, one takes. What, yeah. Uh, what, what the, the, does he do one on the Spielberg oneer? Is that him? Yeah. Yeah. The, the beautiful simplicity of it. Uh, but you're... But there's a shift there because what you're not getting is the director's vision. You're getting someone who works in the industry. You're you're getting a lecture on cinema in general from something that they enjoy and, and are interested in. And it does shift your perspective of the film. But you're not getting that artistic insight. And I think I think that is such a valuable thing in our culture where we just consume media for no reason like we just we, we do it in we binge it we do it in volume uh that to remember that there's an artist behind this process really really was nice yeah and i think it's uh um yeah the future of commentary is an interesting uh, topic we can talk about because i i think the what's happening on youtube with like the every frame of painting or even um like the kind of reviews that happen of films nowadays uh, on YouTube, or what's the the red letter, the the review of Star Wars that everybody likes? Yeah, that's that not that one though. Yeah, but that that guy who it's really kind of creepy and and. Yeah, I really like Belated Media. I think his stuff is really good. Yeah, but the but he doesn't do like a full commentary of the. It's entire, red letter, the creepy. It's guy. red, yeah, the creepy one. But but he does like the full commentary over the the whole movie, which is crazy, but. What that's more akin to the um, the like uh, historians looking at films, but it's not historians. It's just people that like movies doing it. But I guess what's a historian but a person that likes a movie? Um, so it's just more people have access to the uh, to the to the technology to do their own commentary. So they do lots of those. But we are losing that director's one where we get the insight from the director. And are those being replaced with anything? Well, I was thinking about like what came before the director's commentary, and what they used to do is make uh, make oh, what director's reference books. So you used to be able to buy like a coffee table book of all of their sketches, and they still make those. They still make okay. They still make for those. certain certain things. They still probably make. for probably for the Force Awakens, you can buy the biggest 
concept yeah. book ever. Whether or not the director had anything to do with it, though, is a very different story because it's yeah. just it's part of the whole production now. It's just a making things uh, to sell. If anything, if there if it's being replaced by something, I think maybe it's. Uh, kind of like the inside the actor's studio or Comic-Con panels or, or some other place where the director gets a chance to uh, have a discussion or a conversation about their work. Yeah, and that does happen a lot streaming-wise. Like uh, like I think, um, what was it, like the BBC Sherlock series released like a whole making of thing along with the the new seasons on Netflix and stuff. So you can stream those. Um, and I mean... I think we're talking about director commentaries like they're dead, but I don't think they're quite dead yet because I'm pretty sure if you bought a Blu-ray, if we actually if had, we had a Blu-ray the machine. means to play <laughs> a DVD because I don't anymore. Or a television. Um, we just stream everything. But if we did, I'm pretty sure you can still get director's commentaries. I just think that their their lifespan is is limited now because we are going to streaming only and almost exclusively downloadable content. Well, and I think what it must point to is that director's commentaries were never that popular because if they were, Netflix would stream a commentary with everything that they made. Totally, yeah. Because it's cheap and people love it and you get twice as much content. Uh, But clearly we are in the minority of uh, people who love director's commentaries. Well, I think we're, I mean, there's there's people that don't like, um, that don't even want to watch a movie more than once, you know, so... Those people have absolutely no use for director's commentaries because they just want to watch the movie and then get on to another movie or watch something new. Which is uh, that consuming for the sake of consumption. Yeah, or the consumption itself being so important. And I mean, Steve and I talked about this a lot with our Force Awakens episode where we didn't talk about the Force Awakens um, and talking about spoiler culture and things like that. So those kind of people just want to watch it with no spoilers at all. And afterwards, I wonder if they're the same kinds of people that don't want to hear the director's commentary because they don't want to know what the director thought. They have their own opinions that right. they made about it. They want to have the story be their story and their insight be their insight. And that's totally valid. Like yeah. you're allowed to look at a painting and decide what, what it is. Yeah. And I mean, our director's commentary is really the, uh, do you think director's commentaries are the best way to hear the director's thoughts on the piece? Or were they just something they could do with the technologies of a DVD and that's why they did it? And could you find a better way to do that with today's technology? Huh. That's my question for you. I think it's a pretty good way because you're getting them uninterrupted. You're getting a stream of consciousness from them as opposed to uh, something like Inside the Actor's Studio where you're getting a set of questions or a conversation so they're being led or directed in a place and that could either be good or bad. Mm-hmm. But to just have them for two hours sit down and ruminate on this thing that took them two to five years probably yeah. uh, is there's something so precious about that. Yeah, and I think because uh, I'm thinking uh, there there's if they were to make their own like like say Quentin Tarantino who I don't think really does very many. He, I don't think he does commentaries on his own movies, does he? I don't know if we've ever, yeah. I don't think he does. I think he's like against it. But he did the one with Edgar Wright, but I don't think he does. He'll do it for other people's movies, but not his. Yeah, he won't do it for his own movies, I think. <laughs> now I, I we think gotta check that out. I'm pretty sure he's he's, he's against uh, director's commentaries. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't think he does them at all. But, uh, but if Quentin Tarantino were to make like a 15 minute or maybe even let's say 20 minute, half hour um, director's commentary on... Uh, whatever the hateful eight 
And it was just him using his ability to make movies to make a movie about how he made that movie, like almost a, a making of, but with him giving commentary over scenes as you watch them. So, so what like what a YouTube uh, reviewer would do, but from the director's perspective. So you have belated media doing his reviews of films, but it's actually the director themselves telling you about why they chose this and why they did this and what they thought was interesting. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure when I've watched director's commentaries, there's parts of it where the commentary is just, it just lags there's not bit. much to talk yeah. about. It's, it's the boring part of the movie or it's the part of the movie that's like, yeah, here's more courtroom shots. Yeah. So the camera's still just swooping. Okay, good. Well, and in that too, you can tell that that's not what they're interested in. They're not interested in getting you as the viewer from A to B. What they're interested in is this great dark shot they got, you know, yeah. once they were in the courtroom. Or the it's light. just the fact that, like, they've already talked about that part, right? Yeah. Like, like I, I, I like, I enjoy the commentary. More, more drone shots here. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> I enjoy the commentary for Run, Runaway Jury, uh, one of my favorite John Cusack films, um, and John Grisham novels turned into a movie. Uh, but it... There's so many shots of the courtroom, and, and every time they go into the courtroom, it goes to these really classic kind of slow-moving, panning courtroom shots. But then the rest of the film is done kind of handy cam and, like, shaken up. So every time it goes back to a courtroom, he's like, oh, here it is again, the more the the sort of, like, swooping courtroom shots. And then it leaves, and he's like, okay, so this was a little different. So it's like if he was doing it as, like, a half-hour chunk then he could do all the courtroom shots together and say, like, you'll notice when you watch the movie that all of the courtroom shots are done in this very classic courtroom style. And For example, blah, 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 X, blah, blah, Y, blah, and blah, blah. Z, yeah. Yeah, and then show them to you all in one chunk instead of breaking it up throughout the film, which, which is not the best way to talk about that. So do you think that would be as insightful and maybe a better use of your time than watching a full commentary? Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially the more... The more they've thought about what they want to say about the process, I think the tighter it's going to be. So that that would definitely work. Yeah, it uh, I think the... there is value to it being reflective, to being it, to the fact that it's after the fact. For example, after watching, I think the second Hobbit movie, which was just so atrociously bad, like I, I it so hurt, yeah. it hurt to watch that movie. Uh, I actually went on YouTube to look for behind the scenes and commentaries on it, and Peter Jackson did video blogs like vlogs for everything throughout that whole process and i watched probably two hours of peter jackson's video blogs uh and he is just so jazzed he is so excited about each each part of this he takes you to the symphony to the prop shop you see these people who are working so hard and so well and they're loving what they're doing and you just think oh my god these people worked so hard on such a terrible process. But like when he's in it, he's enjoying the creative process, even though it, it the product is bad. Uh, so I think there's something to that reflective nature of saying like, like Batman and Robin. Yeah, that, that really was a bad movie. Yeah. And looking back is what really, because like hearing him talk beforehand and like, and you're like, oh man, he thinks this is going to be good. It's going to be so bad. Versus hearing him talk afterwards when he might say something like... It might be tempered a bit, yeah. yeah. Looking at this now, it's not as good as it was in my head. We had these constraints. We couldn't get the shot I wanted, so I had to use this. And like maybe that might make the movie better again. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think, I think uh, that is a place that it can be 
remedy this this like slowly losing these commentaries is by having directors just make a their own little making of commentary that's ex- just meant to do that but there is something about the fact that they're live watching the movie that is kind of wonderful about the commentary yeah actually right? you know like, what it reminds me of um Shia LaBeouf just did that thing where he sat down in a theater and watched all of his movies back to back over like 24 hours and you could sit in the theater with him and and watch it and he was live streaming not the video but his face so you could watch his face as he's watching these movies and people said it was like this super intimate thing of getting to watch him laugh or enjoy or cringe at his own performance for 24 hours or whatever it was yeah uh and i think i think that kernel of like uh, watching someone appreciate their own art is what you're talking about there in the director's commentary. Yeah, like, well, and it's also just like, because I, I think some of the funniest parts in commentaries to me are when the director just, just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And goes quiet, and then we just watch the movie for a little bit. And they come in, and they're like, oh, I just, I love that scene. I love the way it, it kind of, like, the, like uh, where they are taking a break. Because this part of the movie speaks for itself, you know. So like, like uh, they don't need to talk about it. But also, when when it, the, just the fact that it's live and it's just them watching the movie and talking as they watch it is it means that everything they're saying is is less prepared and therefore kind of more sincere. Uh, as an improviser, I'm saying. This. Yeah, so it, of course, it, of course, I like the less prepared. But that that has that it has a, a ring of truth to it. It feels very intimate. It feels like you are sitting in the room with the director and they're just talking to you or with you. Yeah, and one of my favorites is the the Serenity episode of Firefly that's done with um, Nathan Fillion and uh, Joss Whedon. And Nathan is just as into the show as Joss Whedon was, which is what makes it so great. But he keeps sort of like turning to him and asking him questions. Like, like, Joss, this part here, the way the, the... the light i love how the lighting is coming in through behind the character there can, can you just explain how you got that shot so well and then he's like oh yeah well you know when we did this it was blah, blah. so it's almost like he's being interviewed while watching the movie about the movie and so he doesn't know what he's going to talk about and nathan just brings it up and then he just riffs and you're like oh wow he did really think about that like he could be asked a question about any shot and he'll have an answer yeah mm-hmm. and that kind of in- instantification instantification i don't know instant gratification of watching it okay so um uh do you think uh do you think that's likely that um do you think it's likely that director's commentaries are going to continue or are they are they gone I think it's likely that commentaries in some form will continue because, uh, I mean, just look at the plethora, like the, 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 the unbelievable stream of commentary that came on The Force Awakened. Mm-hmm. Everybody had a blog about it. Everybody had an essay. Uh, we will be hearing interviews from, the, from JJ on that movie for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether we'll get commentaries as the, the classical version we've just discussed of a guy of the director sitting in the room watching his movie live. I don't know hmm. because, because of the, because it was an, a result of a technology, the increased storage capacity and the technology has now changed beyond that. 
I think that what we see on YouTube, live video blogs, aggregate kind of more thematic themed reviews, is is how we're going to go and we're going to lose that intimate insight from the artist. Yeah, you don't have to wait for the Entertainment Weekly to come out and you don't have to wait for the, what's the... What's the uh, what's the magazine that's in movie theaters called that that like view? Uh, I don't know review or view or what, star. What, Who knows? Something it's that something that's like thing you get. in movie theaters that they used to give out for free. I don't even think you get it anymore. I think I don't think they have it anymore because it's totally been replaced. Like we don't need to wait to get the commentary from the director or wait to get the commentary from from a news source. We just go online and there's so much that we can day one after the Force Awakens came out. There were thousands. Of places to listen to people's reviews and thoughts and, but you know and, what? and insight into the film. I still can't wait for JJ's commentary. Yeah. Right? Like, I want to hear what he was thinking. Oh, me too. I think it's going to be great. And and the pressure that he was under, you know? Yeah. So in review, uh, in closing, do you have any uh, closing statements to make about uh, about commentaries? Like, why do, you, why do you still love them? Do you still love them? Do you, are you looking forward to more of them? Any, any last thoughts? I love them because as an artist i appreciate learning about another artist's process Mm -hmm. but also as someone who enjoys film uh but doesn't do it i don't make film uh, i really enjoy learning about the process of film and having a deeper understanding of that whole art form Mm -hmm. it it makes me feel like a a more involved viewer when i when Mm -hmm. i watch films cool yeah i always uh um I remember the poem you wrote about director's commentary. You say this line where you say, we're the matrix generation. We like to see the code, uh, something like that. We want to see the source code behind We want to see everything. the source code. And that's sort of what, what director's commentary really does feel like to me, is that it's like getting to see behind the scenes and, and the, 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 all the thought and choices that went into the film. And it makes me, as a viewer, feel like I'm all of a sudden real savvy on making movies. Oh, I know everything about making movies, even well, though I don't think I actually know the first thing about making movies. <laughs> but but uh, I, I enjoy the the sort of feeling of, of like, oh, I know, I know how that was made now. And it's just knowing his power and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Miss Peters. Oh, my, my pleasure. I can't wait for the commentary on this podcast. Yeah, it's that's coming up next. So uh, if you're listening, if you go back to the beginning of the podcast and in your podcast player, there will be a little commentary button. Hit the commentary button and then you'll hear our commentary on this podcast play over top of the podcast. Uh, and uh, it'll be it'll give you some new insight into how this podcast was made.